Joshua chapter 4. It's where we find ourselves in our continuing journey through the book of Joshua. And if you're a guest with us, we always like to just point out, as a, as a church, we just go straight through books of the Bible. Um, we're in our 15th book of the Bible as a church, and so we're in the book of Joshua. We've made it through um, four chapters, three chapters. We're going to make it through the fourth chapter today in our continuing journey through it. And we've seen how God has been faithful to keep his promises, and, and we've kind of looked at that over and over and over in very specific moments all throughout the journey. And today we hit kind of a, a monumental moment, a moment that the Lord even deems monumental. And so before we kick it off, I thought about this. I thought about monumental moments. I thought about Thanksgiving days. Um, I thought about Christmases. Um, I thought about Memorial Day. I mean, obviously a more memorial moment. I thought about all of those different things. <clears throat> and then my brain, as it does, tends to do, it chases rabbits. And so then I started thinking about dominoes because what logically wouldn't you think of next if you thought about everything? And so I kind of went to dominoes, and, and then, I, then I started thinking, I wonder what the world record domino is, which led me on another journey to um, the Google, the source of all knowledge, right? And, uh, and so I found this out. This is November of the 13th, 2009. This was World Domino Day. They don't have World Domino Day any day anymore because sponsors didn't want to support it. I don't know why. I mean, that seems like a big thing you'd want to pour money into. <clears throat> but World Domino Day, November 13th, 2009, they set the world record. Over 89 builders, over 30 days, put together 4,491,863 chained dominoes and set this bad boy off. They all fell in the span of five minutes. It, it, you can go pull it up. You can look at it for yourself on YouTube. It's a phenomenal feat. And I got to thinking about that because as they were putting these dominoes together, think about it, four million plus dominoes. Like, I don't know about you, but I think my record is about 10, right? Because either they fall over or I just get distracted with a squirrel and I'm like, hey, let's go stack mattresses, you know, whatever. Um, but think about that, four million dominoes that had to be spaced precisely. And as I was looking at that and on all of the spacing, I mean, this thing went through multiple rooms, I mean, it's phenomenal to watch. <clears throat> and every room, they had to take big chunks of dominoes and attach them to bigger chunks of dominoes. So these transition moments were different. So here's what I'm saying. Every domino was important, no doubt about it. But these transition moments were incredibly important. They were just something special because if all of these fell and these didn't fall, then it would have gone down as a failure. And so as I'm thinking through this passage, like, right, right, tied in, Troy, what on earth are you talking about? <clears throat> as I'm thinking about Joshua, as we've been going through this book of the Bible, we have watched several individual moments, haven't we? The Lord promised 400 plus years ago, I'm going to give you the land. He told Abram that. 400 years later, they've been placing dominoes, one after another, headed towards the land. And then today, we get to a moment to where the Lord goes, time out, hit the pause button. This is a special moment. It's something different. This is a moment that I'm setting aside that you need to mark that's going to chain this chunk to this chunk. Hit the pause button. And I think, if we'll just contemplate this today that it might change our view of who God is, and it'll change our view of who we are. Because a lot of us don't have in our box 
thought out of who God is a paradigm that we worship a God who celebrates. We're going to look at that. Do we worship a God who values celebration? And what does that say about us? And what does that say about him? And what does that say about the extent to which we believe that about him and believe that about us? And so let's just kind of look at this today, this unique moment that we're going to pull out um, where God specifically said, hit the pause button and let's celebrate this moment. Let's see what this has to say. We're going to go through it. So here we go. Joshua chapter 4. We won't go very far. Verse 1 to kick it off. So remember, 400 years ago, God had said to Abraham, leave your mother, leave your father, leave your land, and I'm giving you a new land. 400 years prior. We've been tracking this journey, and today we finally reached the land. When all of the nation passed over Jericho. Number one, the consummation. We made it, church. Does that not give you the giddies? No. It gives me the giddies. Listen, we've been tracking with these people, and and this week, as I finally get to this, I read verse 1, and I was like, when all the nation had finished, passed over, and it just lit me up. It got me excited, so much so that I went to eat lunch with Andy and Cole Metters, and I said, "We, we made it. We made it, Andy. We made it. And he's like, what did we make? And I'm like... We made it into the land. And he's like, Troy, what are you talking about? And I'm studying the passage. Aren't you? We should clap. We should clap as a church. We made it. Don't you want to clap? And Andy was like, that's a little weird, Troy. Uh, (laughs) But it's like the never-ending story. Do y'all remember that movie? Y'all remember that? A trail, a trail, right? Um, Where he's reading the book, and then all of a sudden he's in the story. So, I mean, I feel like we've been in it, and we've been like, they're going to make it to the land, and they finally make it. And so, I'm excited. I don't know about y'all, but I'm excited. We made it. Um, And in this moment, we see the consummation of this moment, which means this. God never wastes a single moment in the chain reaction, ever. Every moment we've been through to see the nation getting to this land has meaning, deep meaning. God never wastes a moment in your life, ever in your chain, that your, your journey that you're on. Now, your moments may be different than my moments, and that's true, but God never wastes a single moment. There's no such thing in Scripture as luck. So the moment that you hit a great success, it has meaning. And it's not for you to boast your chest, but it has great meaning, and there's never a moment in your life that's waste. So that most horrific moment that you've been through in your life It's not wasted. God is producing something in both our joys and our success. There's no wasted moments in him getting you to your land, whatever your land looks like. And so we see this consummation, and this is one of the most relatable attributes of the imago Dei, of the image of God that's in all of Scripture. A lot of times we see God as holy, other, separate, and he is holy, other, and separate. But when we see God as this deatific, open theist view, which is a heresy, by the way, if you're an open theist in this room, man, let's hang out. I would love to just go to battle with you on theology. Our God is not a God who just spun the world into existence and walked away, and he doesn't know what's coming next. Okay, let's, so let's, ha- let's hammer it out. Let's theological fight club to the three people in the room who even know what I'm talking about. Let's do it. Let's duke it out. Um, But it's not this God who just spun the world into motion and then doesn't know what's coming next. God is intimate in every detail of your life. There's no 
wasted moments. And this is relatable to us. All of our moments in our stacking of dominoes are known and they're purposeful. Think about this. But the God who loves individual moments also loves to celebrate big moments. Our God is a God who celebrates the Sabbath day. Six days, the Lord's doing some stuff, getting after it, right? The seventh day, he goes, these days are important, but the seventh day, what I want you to do? Pause button, rest. Because there's something special about this. this the Feast of Passover. You remember this? All the moments that the Israelites were obeying the Lord were great moments. But the moment that they smeared the blood and the Lord passed over and didn't slaughter their children, but slaughtered the children of Egypt... The Lord says, hang on, Paul's button, celebrate this. This is special. The Feast of Trumpets. Seven commands in the Old Testament. The Lord says, all of your moments are of great value, but I am going to set aside some moments as greater value. And so he does this with the Feast of Trumpets, Passover, these seven things. That's not even to mention the altars he commanded to be built. All of this, I'm saying this. My point is, to the extent to which we believe our God celebrates is to the extent that we'll find freedom ourselves to celebrate. Because when we don't understand that God is a God who celebrates, we'll create a weird caricature of God that's non-celebratory. Let me prove my point. Some of you in this room have a picture of God who's an unsatisfied slave driver, don't you? Your view of God is a God who do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And when you do that, there's no moment to pause because he says, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you find yourself worshiping a God who's nothing but a mere slave driver. You see no joy in that, Lord. That's some of your picture of God. Because you don't have a theology of a God who celebrates. Some of your picture of God is not an unsatisfied slave driver, but it's an angry teacher. It's a God walking around with a pencil or ink. Let's use ink because it's red. It's red ink. It's not even blue ink. It's red ink and he's got a journal. And as you walk along your journey, he goes, mm, wrong. Nope, bad. Nope, don't do that. Yuck. Troy, you didn't even write a good thesis statement. Thesis statement. I'm like, I didn't even know I was writing a thesis statement, right? And that's your view of God. It's this red ink marking God who's just constantly walking around. And that's your, because you don't have a category for a God who celebrates. Or some of your picture of God is indeed the joyless Grinch. It's the Grinch who stole Christmas. Now, I know, God, you created all things, but you really want me to be mournful and sorrowful. You created life, you created others, you created the world for us to enjoy, but you don't want me to enjoy any of it. And that's your view of who God is. And my prayer today is that you'll see this God who, this culmination of this moment, they, they walk into the land, we find this joyful, celebratory God, and the people are pumped. They're pumped. Dude, they just, I don't know why dude just came out. Um, <laughs> It's Hebrew, I guess. Um, they're, they're excited. But you know who's even more excited in this passage? God. And we're going to see that. So there's this category of this God. And so don't let this slip by. 
And so God says this to them. Yes, the consummation. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, there is this consummation. The Lord's going to say something. And here's the command. The command is to celebrate, number one, or number two, by picking up literal stones. So let's look at this. So the nation of Israel passed over. Here's the command. Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man. Command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And then Joshua did as the Lord commanded, and he called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you twelve stones upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. So number one, we have this consummation, the point at which it was complete. They, they did it, and we watch what God does. Number two is the celebratory God. He tells them, pick up these literal stones. So not only do we have a God who likes to celebrate, but we have a God who enjoys physical reminders. And this part of the image of God is something that he put in us. He doesn't have to teach us how to celebrate. Celebration is as natural as your lungs working right now. Let me illustrate. I began to think about, okay, this God who celebrates, what are some major celebration moments? Hitting my hand on that was not a celebration moment. <laughs> that hurt. Um, but then I thought to several moments, and then I, I started tracking with the Vietnam War. And this was a, obviously that's not a celebration moment. Um, but as I, as I started thinking through the Vietnam War, I started thinking, well, this, is, this was a unique war. And it was unique in the fact that there was these POWs who spent three years, four years, five years, and their family had no idea if they were alive, where they were, and so at home in Minnesota, you have a faithful, loyal wife who's been praying for her missing husband for five years, wondering if he's even alive. You have sons and daughters who've been faithful in praying for dad who they don't know whether he's alive or not. And as the war is wrapping up and, and people are coming home, they begin to wonder, is, is he coming home or not? And then all of a sudden that day they get the phone call. And the phone call says this, hey, your father, your husband is on an aircraft carrier. And they just flew in and they're flying into San Diego. And we're going to land there at the naval base. And, and here's the deal, we've already paid for you and your children to hop on a plane and fly out to San Diego. Get here at 3 o'clock on this day at such and such time. Family gets on the airplane, gets on, flies over to San Diego. The airplane carrier lands, and the POWs who've been gone for five years begin to step off. And as they step off, I found myself bawling like a baby on Wednesday in my living room, which also doubles as the church office, which is kind of fitting for my pink, purple shirt. And I'm bawling like a baby. And as I'm bawling, the POW steps off, and you didn't have to tell mom or kids what to do next. They took off, sprinting across the naval base, grabbing dad, weeping, party, celebration. And you know what they had in their hand? Gifts. 
This is a memorial moment. There were all kinds of moments. There's this celebratory moment. It's this special nature that God put in us to celebrate. And listen, as Christians, we should rejoice and celebrate like the world has never seen before. We should throw the best parties in the world. I'm talking about thumping parties. Now, if you're banjo, banjo party, whatever it is. We should have the best parties in the world because it represents the nature that God himself has. And where do you see that? Right here. What they could have done in this moment is God was faithful. He led us across. Praise be the name of the Lord. All heads bowed and eyes closed. No peeking. (laughs) And what did God do? The exact opposite. He said, this is a moment to party. You get in the creek, pick up some rocks. And they're like, this is really going to be a party. (laughs) And they go and they grab the rocks and they begin toting them. And what I want you to see is there is a God who celebrates in the extent to which we think he celebrates, will celebrate, and it will overflow in us. And if our model of Christianity is, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, No wonder the lost world don't want to talk to us. They can find that in any depressed... Well, I I don't want to say some of the clubs I think are depressing because you might be in that club. Whatever. So we'll just skip along. What my point is, here we see the consummation of this moment. They've made it to the land and God's first command is, listen, that nature that I've put in you, let's celebrate in this physical reminders of these rocks start coming out which shows me this that even the inanimate objects can have great great meaning to the Lord Israel lost the ark to the Philistines y'all remember this they lost the ark of the covenant because they started treating it like a lucky rabbit's foot and so they lost it and then God brought it back through a judge named Samuel And as the ark came back in, even old Samuel said, hey, 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 lots of moments. This is a grand one. Let's worship the Lord. And he raised a rock and he called it a what? We sing it in the song all the time. Here I raise my Ebenezer. It was a stone. So if you never knew what that word meant in that hymn, there you go. It's a rock. Here I raise my rock. Because our God is a God who doesn't waste rocks. Every rock screams his glory. Every moment in your life is meant to boast in him and not boast in you. So are we raising Ebenezer stones to ourselves? Are we raising them to him? And so we see this God who does this. Jesus, y'all remember Jesus? And I'll keep flying. Okay, let, let me get on to the next thing. Even Jesus, right? The Pharisees are blasting Jesus because as Jesus comes in, they're laying down palm branches. You remember this? He's riding on a donkey. And then the Pharisees say to Jesus, shut your disciples up. And then Jesus, fascinating, says, if I shut them up, even the what will cry out? Even the rocks are going to start crying out my glory. So we have this God who celebrates. And God's saying, don't waste these rocks. And So let me bring it applicable. Here's my point. My point I want you to see in this is at the consummation of moments, there is a category in theology for a God who celebrates, which is not something we talk about from the pulpit a lot because mainly we don't preach through the books of the Bible, but that's a whole other story for another day. 
And we have this God who's celebrating. So my question to you is, that wedding ring on your hand. Is it for you to boast in you or the Lord? And some of you are like, put that on before you lose it. I've already lost three of them. It wouldn't shock Julie at all. So there we go. (laughs) Those trophies on your shelf. Did God design those moments for you to boast in yourself or boast in him? Those diplomas hanging on your wall. I mean, you get the picture taken with the tassel here, and then you realize it wasn't supposed to be there, so you moved it here and all that crazy stuff. You hung it on your wall. Is it for you or is it for the Lord? Those birthday parties. Are they for you or are they for the Lord? Those traditions you have. Are they for you or are they for the Lord? Those anniversaries that you have, are they for you or are they for the Lord? Those bricks you keep from the places that you went. And yes, we actually have somebody in our church who collects bricks. He's out there with the kids right now. All of it says something about what you think God is, how he works in our lives, and how he interacts us with life moments. Because if all of those things are about you, then you've missed it. And this passage pleads us to understand this God who is a sentimental God, and he has purpose. So that's where we go next. So in this passage, we've seen the consummation of a moment. There are moments that, the God, that God says, hey, let's put the pause button in worship. And then in that, he even uses inanimate objects, rocks in this case, for what purpose? Which is 6 through 24, and we'll wrap it up. For a celebration. And he says, I want, I'm a celebratory God, and I want you to celebrate because in your celebration, I'm pushing you to not be literal rocks, to be, but to be living rocks. Verse 6 through 24. That this may be a sign among you. There we go. There's his purpose. Do this, celebrate, grab rocks. Why? Because this will be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean? So we see the celebration is intended to be a sign to the current generation. Among you. That God's faithful in your midst. Your greatest prayer right now is not about getting the product at the end of the prayer. To the Lord, your greatest prayer right now is the fact that you're even praying. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey that the Lord loves. So in celebrating, it's a moment where we celebrate. This is what the Lord's doing among us. And then, not only to us, but to the coming generation. Verses 7 Then you shall tell them, there we go, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So our God is a God who celebrates, not just because he's some, well, he does want glory done to himself. That's another story for another day. But number one, to be assigned to us that he's faithful. And number two, to the coming generation that he's faithful. I want to hit the pause button here because there's this weird notion going on in our southern culture that sounds something like this. You have your own spiritual journey. He has his own spiritual journey. And our children have their own spiritual journey. And everybody should just have their own spiritual journey. And that could not be the furthest from the truth. Parents in the room. Your job is indeed to indoctrinate your kids in the gospel. 
It's your job. And we've just kind of let that go. Well, I just want them to have their own thing, figure it out themselves. That's just not biblical. Even in celebration, it's a moment to where we boast. And so what are we teaching our kids? And I know I'm about to, we're going to start hitting on some pulses. So when you rent that pony for your kid's birthday party and smatter it all over Facebook for the world to see, my daughter is the greatest daughter in the world, what I think this passage is pushing us to see is even those moments are not about ponies and celebration of your daughter. It's a moment where we can boast in the Lord. Celebrations have deep meaning and they don't terminate on us. And so he says, I want you to get these stones and I want you to do this and I want you to do this. Why? So that you'll know I'm among you and so that your children will know that I'm among you. Indoctrinate them with celebration. And then he goes on to talk about it's also a sign of actual obedience. Verses 8 through 10. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded them and took up the 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Just as the Lord told Joshua, they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged. They laid them down there. And Joshua set up the 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are still there to this day. Then verse 10, for the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded. And the people passed over in haste. So there's God who celebrates. There's this God who loves monumental moments. And he's saying it's going to be a sign to the current generation, to the coming generation. The act of celebrating itself is going to be showing that we walk in it together. And then it's also going to be a sign of future reliance. Verses 11 through 13. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben, the sons of Gab, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they passed over armed before the people of the Lord as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. So the Lord says, we're going to celebrate. And they come over ready for war, showing that they don't think this is just going to end. That celebration is a means to keep on worshiping and keep on believing. Every birthday, every plaque, true design is to show us that we need the Lord. It shows that God really moves in our lives and in real nature as we wrap it up. And I'll tie a bow on it in a second. Verse 14. And on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. They're not worshiping Joshua. They're worshiping what God had done through Joshua. Which says to me, there's a way in which we live our lives that either boast in us or boast in the Lord. And the people recognized Joshua's faithfulness, his obedience, and they saw the Lord moving through it. If I were to look on your Facebook feed or Instagram feed, would I find more boasting in you or more boasting in the Lord? It's what I think this passage is saying. If I took a percentage, would it be about celebrating you and your children and your moments, or would it be about the Lord? This is a paradigm we don't ever think about. 
And so we see God's movement in Joshua's life, and then it wraps up this way. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest bearing the ark of testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant came up, the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, Golly, this is good. This is so good. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know that Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. Why? Because the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Why? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So my challenge to us, to understand that God does celebrate and it frees us to celebrate but it also causes us to question what do our celebrations point to it calls into question our purpose our meaning our, our are we about us are we about him he really moves in these real lives in real nature and so these kids would have seen the waters split apart and stand up. They would have seen that. They would have seen these men pick these stones up and lay them down. And all the kids would have been like, what on earth is going on? And the whole point of all of it was not so that they could take a picture and slap it on social media. And go, look at my cool rocks. The whole point was to go, look at what the Lord is doing actively in our midst right now. And so my call to you is, fathers... Husbands, wives, are we building up memorial stones so that our kids know the Lord? Or are we building up memorial stones so that our kids know us? Our God is a celebratory God, but he's got purpose and he's got meaning. So my challenge to you is, man, let it be. Be people who celebrate. Be people who make moments. Make much of birthdays. Have the biggest birthday parties ever. And right smack dab in the midst of the birthday party, hit the pause button and say, we want to worship the Lord because my heart wouldn't have been beating this many days. Her heart wouldn't have been beating this many days. We wouldn't have had this many years. Look what the Lord has done. In the great success, everybody mocked Tim Tebow like nobody's business. Mocked him left and right. Even the church started mocking him. And all the man was doing was bowing, going, I'm grateful to be an athlete, but praise the Lord for athleticism. Praise the Lord for Tim Tebow's. Tim Tebow gets Joshua chapter 4. Well, did he really have to bow? Sure. And we should too. Not only when you score the touchdown, but when you get the promotion. Or when you make the good grade. 
or when something good happens in the family, or when you, when you sing, when you, when you finally hit the note on the saxophone. I went to hear, like it was like trumpet, clarinet, saxophone. It kind of went all <laughs> instruments, all in one. When you finally hit the note, praise the Lord, but don't let it be a, I hit the note. Let it be a, look what the Lord is doing in me and letting me experience. Again, theology of celebration. I can honestly say in 24 years of ministry, I've never preached a passage on celebration. But I've also never preached through the book of Joshua. Praise the Lord, we worship a God who celebrates. But he has meaning in that celebration. And let us be a people who model that. So, as the band comes back up. That next birthday, God kept your heart beating to get there. Worship him. That next work thing promotion. God gave you the power to make the money. Worship him. That next diploma, God gave you the... You're not smart on your own. Let's just pop your bubble. You're just not. You're not as smart as you think you are. And then you said, Troy, you're the dummy. Brother, I know that. (laughs) You ain't got to argue that point. The next Christmas... Is it about how many gifts can I stick under the tree so that I can post it on social media? Or is it about Jesus? Our God loves celebration. But more importantly, he wants our celebration to the point to the fact that all people should hear him, fear him, and be all in him forever. So I hope all those things have new meaning for you. The coming homes. And here's the bonus of all of it. All celebrations ultimately terminate on themselves. And what I mean by that is we can have all the celebrations in the world, but all of them leave us craving. All of them leave us empty. All of them leaving, leave us longing for another celebration. Because even when you get whatever that thing is the Lord has promised, it's still going to leave you feeling like you need more by design. All celebrations are great. In just a minute, we're about to take communion. And it's a memorial celebration. In just a minute, we're about to witness a baptism. And it's a monumental celebration. But even in those, it leaves us craving, longing something else. Hebrews chapter 11. The great hall of faith. Every person mentioned in here... Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Jephthah, there's your name. All of them got something, a product. The Lord had promised them something. But then verse 39 says this, And all of these celebrated, and they were commended for their faith. But they still didn't receive ultimately what was promised. Because God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they shall not be made perfect. And so, yeah, let's celebrate. But all celebrations point to the fact that there's only a God-sized celebration that can be fulfilled through the person and work of Jesus that no other celebration will ever feel in your heart. So let's be people who party. And let's boast in the Lord in our parties. Let's get after it. Hang the signs, do the cutouts. 
do the, uh, uh, um, the little snowflake things? Do them, man. Put them out there. Rip the pony. But let's be intentional about boasting in the Lord. And then always remember that even those things point to a longing that we have that only Christ can fulfill. And so in just a moment, we're going to come to the table. All believers are invited to come. If you've surrendered to the person and work of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come. And remember the blood that was spilled to fulfill Hebrews 11. The body that was broken to fulfill Hebrews 11. Come, worship Jesus. If you're not a believer in this room, if you're not a follower of the Lord, if you've not confessed your sin and trusted Him as Savior and Lord, do so today. Why? Because the greatest celebration is yet to come. There's a celebration coming that Isaiah 25 promises. The wedding feast. Where the bride of Christ will finally have the party that he and she is looking for. And we'll sit face to face with Christ. Who will fulfill all the longings within us that we've tried to fulfill with celebrations. And so if you're an unbeliever, why not today? Repent of your sin today. Trust in the finished work of Christ today. Let today be not just one domino along a chain, but a special moment where you commit it all to the Lord. How do you do that? You pray. Lord, I'm a sinner. You confess that he's the righteous one. You trust in his righteousness where you're unrighteous. You ask him, fill me, and commit your life to him today. Would you pray with us? And would you stand? The way that we respond to the text as a church, as I've already mentioned, is through communion and through responding. So if you're a believer, come to something that pictures a greater celebration to come. And if you're not a believer and you want to give your life to Christ today, number one, you don't need me, but I will be hanging out right down here. Come, let's talk. I'd love to pray with you. Lord Jesus, have your way as we worship you through song and through communion. And Lord, if there's one here who's trusting in you for the first time, oh Lord, let us party with them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.